Please turn with me this morning to the third chapter of Romans, where I'd like to read for you Romans 3, verses 9 through 20. As we uh, prepare to receive a uh, message about the new year, I think it'd be appropriate for us to reflect upon Paul's words about humanity, beginning in the ninth verse, then, of Romans 3. Hear now God's own word. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we before laid to the charge both of Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They have all turned aside they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not so much as one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law it speaketh to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may be brought under the judgment of God. Because by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And thus far the reading of God's holy word. This morning I wish to do something which is a bit unusual in our circle, certainly unusual uh, for me as a preacher. My normal approach to preaching is to um, take a text in God's Word and try to uh, unpack it for you, to interpret it and to apply it to your lives. But you know, whenever we go to the Bible and want to make application of the Bible to us, we need to understand more than what the Bible has to say. And that may sound a little strange, don't get me wrong. The only standard for our living, the only standard of God and His saving mercy in our lives is His own Word. Now, I don't, uh, I'm, I'm not changing anything here this morning when I, when I tell you that uh, we need to say more than what the Bible says. The Bible is our standard, but the standard needs to be applied to our lives. And that means we need to understand our world, the world in which we live, our own lives, our circumstances. To put it briefly, we have to know not only the norms that are taught to us in God's Word, we need to know the facts to which these norms are applied as well. When I teach ethics to uh, various students, I often use the illustration that if you know the command, thou shalt not steal, it will not get you to the point of obeying God unless you also know the difference between your property and your neighbor's. And that's not revealed in the Bible. The Bible doesn't tell you whether that's your bicycle or not. And so in order to obey the commandment, thou shalt not steal, I need to know the Bible, which gives me the norm, but I also know the world. I need to know the facts. I need to know something about me as well in order to obey the Bible. 
So now that, by way of general introduction, might help you understand why there's sometimes a place, I think, in preaching for not only unpacking the Bible, but as it were, unpacking the facts, unpacking the world as well. And as we come to the end of a year, 1992, and we are now looking out on 1993, I'd like to take a few moments this morning and uh, do a bit of unpacking of the world in which you live. I'd like to look at 1992, kind of selectively pick out some headlines and and, uh, details about this last year to address a very serious subject, and that has to do with the basic nature of man. You know, a lot of people get uneasy. Uh, You know, if you went to a party and people said, well, I think tonight we're going to talk about not just bowl games and the weather and so forth, we'll talk about the basic nature of man. People get kind of, ooh, you're getting philosophical or you're just, you know, and they, they don't like to do that. But everybody does, whether you publicly engage in it or whether you go to school and study it or write papers on it, everybody thinks about the basic nature of man. Everybody has some conviction about it. And the uh, protest that I am bringing this morning arises from the fact that I'm convicted that the vast majority of people, whether they have self-consciously studied it and come to these conclusions or whether they've just kind of adopted the, the outlook of the world, I'm convinced the vast majority of people have a very Pollyanna naive view of human nature. And so this morning I wish to issue a protest against humanity. The year 1992, I think um, many other years would suit this purpose well, but 1992 certainly provides ample evidence for us to protest against the naive, liberal, humanistic, optimistic view of human nature that is basically giving and good and kind and pure. If they just don't have bad circumstances get in the way, then they're going to do the right thing. In the year 1971, Life magazine had an in-depth interview with Buckminster Fuller, who was the famous futurist, and uh, he was quite the rage at the time. And in this interview, uh, Mr. Fuller said that everyone he knows, and I quote, is much too innocent to sin. He said, everyone he knows is much too innocent to sin. And he suggested, let me quote again, so often we find nothing but confusion and inertia at the base of evil and not a knowing sinful act on anybody's part. I'll read it again. So often we find nothing but confusion and inertia at the base of evil and not a knowing sinful act on anybody. He has very eloquently stated, I think, what is a common assumption in our society, that people don't purposely do bad things. No one would knowingly do an evil thing. It's out of confusion or ignorance or sometimes inertia, that is to say, a lifelessness or indifference that leads to evil things being done. But the idea that there is working within human nature some terrible, almost demonic, malicious drive to do bad things is out of the question. It was for Buckminster Fuller in 1971. This goes way back to Plato and actually long, you know, uh, way before Plato too, but 
Plato gave classic expression to this view that no man knowingly does evil. That if we could but educate people to the nature of their behavior and their acts, the evil ones, they would askew, they would turn away from, they would not. So that when people do bad things, it's because they don't know the nature of what they're doing, or they don't know that it's bad to do these things. Now, this uh, same naive attitude about human nature lies behind our efforts in the public schools to, uh, uh, to get uh, kids off of drugs or to resist drugs or to use condoms or whatever it may be. It's all a matter of if you have sex education, if you have drug education, then we'll be able to wipe out you know, the misdeeds of people and we'll have a happier, cleaner society in which to live and so forth. Does it work? Anybody want to do a little, you know, sampling around the public schools of our nation, find out whether we have a lot less sexual promiscuity and a lot less drug use because of these educational efforts? That isn't true. Plato said no man knowingly does evil, and yet the Bible tells us that people sometimes do evil because they get pleasure out of doing evil. And it's just the evilness of what they're doing that attracts. St. Augustine gave classic expression to that when in his book, The Confessions, he talked about as a boy sneaking into his neighbor's orchard, I think it was pears, forgive me if I have the wrong fruit, but he and his friends would steal the fruit and eat it, and then later in life after he became a Christian, he reflected on that. It wasn't just a childish prank, he says, because the fact of the matter is, I didn't like pears. He said, I did it because of the wickedness of the act. That's what attracted me to it. What you might call the forbidden fruit syndrome. Some people are drawn to do things that they wouldn't ordinarily be interested in doing, or all things being equal wouldn't, but the evil of it is what attracts them. You know the best way to get the windows in your home broken? Put a sign outside your house that says, don't break the windows. Now think about that. And yet Buckminster Fuller and others like him, humanists, will tell us people don't knowingly do evil. It's only out of confusion. The Renaissance and the Enlightenment preached man's basic goodness, and not only man's basic goodness, but his perfectibility. That you could take man because he is born innocent, and if you raised him in the right environment, gave him a good education, and if he was healthy and he had a good job and he was educated and all this, that everybody would be happy. There'd be peace on earth. We wouldn't have, have theft. We would have basically a, a, a wonderful utopian environment to live in. And the humanist world has been unable to produce that, unable to provide any working model of that, but nevertheless, the basic assumption of people in our day and age is this Platonic, Renaissance, Enlightenment view that people are too innocent to sin, to do terrible things. The modern dogma that is taught uh, in our universities today, in the secular schools of our land, refuses to see any basic evil in man's character. And I'm fed up with it. You can look at this as an academic problem. And many times when I get into debates with people about these things, or when I was a student, if we would be discussing these things, it had a kind of theoretical, on paper, abstract character about it. 
But what I want to tell you today as I give my protest against humanity is not theoretical, it's not abstract, it's not something on paper, it's something we have limped through, and I think you ought to be fed up with this Pollyanna view, this naive view of human nature that is so often fed to us that people are basically good and okay, just put them in the right environment and they'll do what is right. I think the news of 1992 uh, presents a jarring rebuke to these saccharine analyses of humanity and gives us pause to consider this rather deep and important question about the basic nature of man. I say the news helps us to do that. In some cases, the news helps us because it's so silly. I grant that. You remember there was this man in the South, I forget which state it was, probably Alabama, who wanted to go off on a march across America to show the basic goodness of his fellow Americans. And he got as far as the county line, and he got mugged by people who took his money and threw him off a bridge. I mean, we read those sorts of things, and it's, yeah, I know, we can smile and say, you know, what a boob, what's wrong with this guy? Basic goodness of man, and then he goes through this, you know, kind of experience, and has he learned his lesson or not? There are those light-hearted, I'm sure it wasn't very light-hearted as he was being thrown off the bridge, but light-hearted stories that tell us that. There's another one here, uh, l let me read this um, to you. Uh, Carlos uh, Carrasco, age 24, was sentenced to 10 years probation in San Antonio for a bungled burglary at a liquor store. You're not going to believe this. Here's how it happened. According to records, Carrasco cut his hand badly when he broke through the store's roof. Okay, so he's up on the roof of the store. He wants to get into this uh, liquor store, and he cuts his hand as he's breaking the glass to get in. Once inside the store, he threw a bottle of whiskey out through the hole that he had created, but he missed, and the bottle fell back to the floor, shattered, and set off the burglar alarm. So here's a guy who has cut his hand getting into the, into the store. He misses throwing the bottle of whiskey out. It comes back down, crashes, sets off the burglar alarm. Then he fell on the broken bottle, cutting himself again. He left his wallet in the store, and once on the roof for his getaway, he fell off the roof. He left a trail of blood from the store to his home, which was just down I mean, you hear a story like that, and you have to laugh, but I mean, there, there are silly things in the news that tell you man is not basically good, not even basically smart, but not basically good. Sometimes the news is silly, but sometimes the news is very somber, too. One thinks about the headlines regarding the uh, L.A. riots, or religious violence in India, or the U.S. political campaigns, or ethnic cleansing in Bosnia, starvation and cruelty in Somalia. And whether we think of the silly headlines or the somber ones, I think this is a good time as we start into 1993 to stop and ask whether this last year should not have and did not teach us something about the basic nature of man. I want to look at the year in selective review, as I've said, and offer my protest against humanity.
against the naive, perversely inaccurate opinion of human nature which refuses to reconcile with reality. Here's reality. Let's talk about property for a minute here. I'm just going to tell you a few stories about 1992. You know, people keep scrapbooks of things they want to remember, nice things that have happened in their lives or accomplishments, you know. And we have family albums, all these nice warm memories. Well, here's a scrapbook of humanity from 1992 for you. And in each case, I want you to stop and ask yourself, what would you make of human nature from this particular incident? There's a 72-year-old widow who is in the hospital here in Orange County, uh, as far as I know still today, who had her shoulder and her elbow broken in Garden Grove, in an alley in Garden Grove, when two youths knocked her down and grabbed her purse and drug her body nearly 20 yards. One of the boys who did this was a runaway. The other one had a history of burglar or arrest. She was hospitalized, 72 years old, a widow, hospitalized. You know what the boys got? 50 cents. 50 cents from this woman's purse. You see, if I were in a situation where we had these Pollyanna liberal commentators on human nature in the room, I would just ask them, would you please comment on that story and tell me about the basic goodness of man where two boys will beat up a 72-year-old woman for 50 cents. I protest humanity. December 31st, the last day of the year, the Decora Designs jewelry store at the Westminster Mall was held up by armed bandits. And this is the second time in 18 months this particular jewelry store has been robbed. The first time, the robbers opened fire in the mall. They wounded a clerk, fled the mall in terror. On December 7th, earlier last month, December 7th, the best jewelry store outlet near the mall was robbed by four masked gunmen who took over $100,000 in merchandise. Let's stop and think about this. People come in who have no right to this property, do not have the money for the proper legal exchange to get it, and what they do is they say, because we have the firepower, we have the violence to use, we will take it and you'll be deprived of it. Scare people out of their wits, deprive the rightful owners of their property, their jewelry, whatever it may be. What does that tell you about basic human nature? The owner of the Orangewood Center in Anaheim, near us, is now convinced that the only way to keep gangsters away from the stores in the center there, he lives in a neighborhood that is plagued by shootings and drug dealing, he's now convinced that the only way to keep the thugs away is to pay out of his own pocket to have a police substation located at the mall. What does this tell you about the culture in which you live? I purposely started in Orange County. We'll end up in Somalia by the time we're done this morning. But right here where you live, a man has to think to build a police substation into the mall just so the people that have the stores can do their work. What do we think about human nature? 
and our attitudes toward property. When we have someone like Barbara Boxer guilty of bouncing a scandalous number of checks as a congresswoman, nevertheless elected as a senator from this state. Now, trust me, I am not preaching politics here. Republicans and Democrats can get it both from me in terms of my indignation about human But she happens to be a Democrat. The point is, any other individual who behaved in this way and wrote bad checks would be imprisoned. But this is a congresswoman. But it doesn't end there. The insult to human nature, not only its righteousness and intelligence, the insult to human nature is that we have a society knowing this about this person and not respecting property enough that they'll return her to office and even give her a, a, a higher office. 1992 would not inspire confidence in human nature. I think the story with respect to property that uh, really sits with me though as I give my protest this morning against humanity is the one that comes out of New York City where in the holiday season a number of merchants has had contributed toys and other kinds of gifts for the children who were in a very um, underclassed in New York. And the school put on its holiday program and had parents there to help supervise the event and watch over things. And it's the parents who stole the children's toys so they could buy drugs. I mean, that is, you, you know the old saying that if a you know, dog bites a man, that doesn't get into the news. Man bites dog, it does. That's the sort of thing that's so outlandish that gets into the news all over the nation. People heard about that. Parents stealing their own children's toys when they were supposed to be the aides and overseers at the event. What are our attitudes toward property? What kind of people are we? Let's talk about personal things for a minute here. Forget property. A lot of people would say, well, you know, what's the big deal? Property. How about personal purity? Personal attitudes. What have we seen in 1992? This also comes from recent events. A pair of Illinois parents left their nine-year-old and four-year-old daughters alone and unattended over the Christmas holiday while the two parents flew to Mexico to enjoy a good time. Remember Buck Minster Fuller, he doesn't know anybody, you know, who would just sin. It's either from confusion or inertia. And I look at that story and I say, now which is it, you think? Was it confusion? These parents just didn't understand? You know, there are a lot of people who would jump to the conclusion, well, they must be from really low-class neighborhood. They're from St. Charles. It's an upscale neighborhood. The man is a professional. You think they didn't understand that a nine-year-old and a four-year-old could hurt themselves and couldn't fend for themselves? There's just confusion and ignorance. Like Plato said, no man knowingly does evil. They didn't know the facts here? Or was it inertia? They just didn't <clears throat> inertia to get to the airport to catch their flight to go to Mexico, but they didn't have enough inertia to get a babysitter for their children. Now again, that's one of those things where you can see humor, and I'm sure that Jay Leno and other 
comedians are going to get you know their fill of this story in terms of telling jokes. But stop and think somberly about this. What does that tell you about these people? Are they just stupid? No, they're not stupid. They're selfish. Where does that selfishness come from? You know, I just, uh, I'm past the point where I can academically deal with these bleeding heart liberal excuses. They were deprived when they were children, and so now this is their way of retaliating again. Oh, give me a break. The Bible, it seems to me, is much more realistic and on target when it says it's simply sin. It's rebellion in human nature. Here's another personal for you. Celebrated actor director Woody Allen. In 1992, it turns out, pursued a public love affair with the 19-year-old daughter of his movie star common-law wife, Mia Farrow. Now, I say common-law wife. They're not claiming that, um, that particular status. But from our perspective, a man who bears children with the woman and adopts children with this woman and so forth is, if not by law, certainly in a common-law sense, the husband of this woman, he now has a love affair with her 19-year-old daughter. And if that were not bad enough, here's this public figure, and of course the rage of the liberal community. We all know what an intelligent, sensitive man Woody Allen is supposed to be. The rage of the liberal community defends his behavior, and I'm going to quote for you because this still makes me want to vomit. It is so, it makes me indignant. He says, the heart wants what thoughts. Here's my defense. I'm doing something which most people would consider in some sense incestuous, but it's what the heart wants. So what can you do? Well, I guess you could stand back and say, well, what kind of heart do you have then? that it wants that. Or Amy Fisher, merely 17 years old, of course being lionized by the television. Isn't it amazing how the, the media just loves to pick up these stories and make big bucks on telling the sad tale. But Amy Fisher, 17 years old, walks up to the home and on the front porch took out a pistol and shot in the head the wife of an older man with whom she was having or wished to have a love affair. I don't know what the truth of the matter is there, but I do know it is scandalous that a 17-year-old is shooting the wife of her paramour. We had a new president elected in 1990. What does this tell you about human nature? What kind of model do we have now in the highest office of our land? A man who is a traitor to his own country, at least earlier in his life in terms of his own activities. A man who is an adulterer and not a very convincing liar about it. A man who is willing to see children killed at the convenience of their mothers. Now people, it's, not, it's bad enough that there are any individuals in this world that have those three things on their conscience. But here's a man who's the President of the United States, or about to become the President of the United States. People were either duped by the PR, or they were indifferent to the truth about this man. 
And which do you think gives a more flattering picture of human nature? That they were duped by the PR? Are we that stupid? Or is it that, well, we know it, but we just don't care. We're just jaded things anymore. What kind of world are we living in? You know, that expression is not very helpful because the fact is, it's not the world that's to blame. It's what kind of people are we to make the world like this? Well, let me come to violence. 1992 was the bloodiest year yet in Orange County. In 1992, we had 182 homicides. 182. The problem with trying to give a brief message like I'm giving you this morning is that we can go over these figures, but you have to stop with every one of these incidents, and especially with the statistics. Stop and think about that. Do you know what 182 bodies would look like if you lined them up on the ground? You see, if you saw the horror that way, then you said, we did that in one year's time? 182 dead bodies caused by other people. By the way, only 8% of those were ruled justifiable killings, like a policeman in the line of duty or a person defending us. 92% of those 182 killings were murder of some form, whatever degree. This seems to be due to increased family violence in Orange County, increased gang activity and drug-related violence. 182 people. It set a record. In the history of Orange County, we've never seen that many people killed in one year. Both Los Angeles and Orange Counties, and of course many cities, all the major cities across the nation, I presume, were plagued with gang activity in 1982 and violence, including drive-by shootings, where innocent bystanders and children, in many cases, were injured or killed. The one that probably takes the cake, though, in terms of the story of 1992, is the gang killing that took place at the funeral of a victim by drive-by killing. What does that tell you about the people who would go to a funeral packing revolvers looking to kill somebody further? That give you a real high view of human nature? That tell you the people are basically kind and giving and forgiving and pure and innocent? You see why I'm indignant? I'm tired of listening to the Buckminster Fullers of this world and all the other ilk who tell us people are okay. I don't know anybody who is so impure as the sin. Well, I, I suppose you're closing your eyes and not reading the papers anymore then. December 6th of last year, radical Hindus destroyed a Muslim mosque in Oyada, India. This act triggered nationwide riots in India, leaving in less than a month 1,200 people dead. And obviously, I don't support either the, the Muslim or the Hindu religion. But again, if you're just standing back as a humanist and looking at the landscape and the facts, where you see man at his best, supposedly in his religious endeavors, you see these two religions fighting over a mosque and killing 1,200 people over a building. 
What does that tell you about human nature? Often the violence that we have seen is gruesome. During this last year, we saw the trial and conviction of Jeffrey Dahmer, this man in Milwaukee who drugged and sodomized and tortured and killed and cannibalized his male victims, often preserving their uh, body organs in a freezer. And it's just amazing what the world did with that little piece of ugly truth about humanity. We had the psychologists who were telling us that this was a sadistic syndrome that this man suffered from. What means this talk that he had a sadistic syndrome? It means that this man did sadistic things. So he must have a syndrome that makes him do sadistic things. That's not an explanation, that's just a redescription of what's going on. What would lead a man to behave that way? What do you think of human nature when that kind of thing is even possible? And then of course there are the major world events that we could have really started with in 1992. I think of Somalia. I hope there's no one in this room who has not seen in the newspapers, Time Magazine, on television, in one way or another, the pictures of the suffering of the people in Somalia. The children whose emaciated bodies have to be buried. The children who don't even have the strength to shoo the flies off their face because things are so desperate there. Now, how did that come about? Yes, there's a famine in Somalia, but plenty of food was sent in from different world relief organizations. Why didn't the people of Somalia get it? Because Somalia is governed by warlords. People who live lavishly by their standards anyway and have plenty to eat and plenty, I mean so much that they cannot consume the grain and other things that they have stolen. And yet they will not allow people in the villages to get this food because they want it for themselves. Now that is bad enough. I mean, I could stop right there. That would be the only illustration I'd give you this morning. And I'd say, that's my protest against humanity, that there are people who live like that when children are starving and their neighbors are you know, dying day by day. But on top of this, they loot the villages and they torment the people and torture them for their entertainment. Now is that because they don't have enough food to eat that they do that? No, they have more than they can consume. It's because they're not knowledgeable about the facts of biology when they see emaciated bodies lying in the road. When you have parents who are not even strong enough to drag the corpses of their children to a grave. For crying out loud, what does 1992 tell you about human nature? Major world events, ethnic cleansing in Bosnia, and the mistreatment of war prisoners. Are Nazi gangs reviving in Germany in 1992, attacking foreigners and getting this, I mean that's bad enough, even attacking families who have been productive merchants in Germany and hired Germans attacking their families even though they've been there for generations because of the Nazi hatred of the foreigner. And of course, that's out there in Somalia, right? It's over there in Germany. <coughs> They're in Yugoslavia. So let me just rehearse 1992 with one more incident for you, and that's our L.A. riots this last year. 
the violence, the looting, the arson, the incredible destruction of South Central Los Angeles by people, and why? Allegedly sparked by the Rodney King verdicts. I think you're an intelligent group. I don't need to walk you through this, do I? To show the irrationality. That's the response to this stimulus. Assume the stimulus is a bad one. Assume that, I'm not going to argue the case, but just even assuming that the verdicts were wrong, does it seem rational to anybody that you burn down all these neighborhoods? A black man was beaten, so destroy a black neighborhood. Does that make sense to you? Black-on-black -black violence as a response to white-on-black violence? This is not rationality, my friends. And it really has nothing to do with Rodney King. It has a lot to do with human nature, though. <clears throat> it's not just black-on-black -black violence. You saw the racist hatred that is uh, brooding in our neighborhoods, black on Korean and Korean on black violence erupting as well. You see the looting. I mean, it. the pictures in my mind of 92 of gangs of people overwhelming stores and carrying stuff out. It's, I, I, I'm not even sure that I can take all that in and interpret it. But then to hear the rationalization of the looters as to why they were doing it and the audacity to walk up to a TV camera and to defend their behavior and to laugh about it. Neighborhoods are burning down and firemen are trying to prevent the destruction. And so the looters and the rioters started shooting at the firemen. And of course the last incident that I'll leave you with is the beating of the trucker, Reginald Denny where we see people purposely, I mean, this is pretty, we hear stories of it, but you know, most of us in our middle-class neighborhoods are insulated from this kind of ugliness, but they're right on the camera to see a brick thrown in the face of this man, the attempt to kill him. What conclusion do we come to? Well, you know my conclusion. I've been telegraphing it all morning. This is my protest against humanity. I despise human nature. Jonathan Swift, the English writer, once said that although he loved individual human beings, he hated humanity. And after 1992, especially after 1992, I agree with him. There are many individual human beings that I love, but there is nothing lovable about human nature. Humanity in general is not pure, innocent, kind, giving loving. Humanity is polluted, selfish, violent, disrespectful of property, and essentially self-serving. I have to recognize that there is a basic, common human nature that is not essentially good and pure and kind. What I've been doing this morning is not the exegesis of Scripture, but what I've been doing is teaching you what the Scripture would teach you. I've been exegeting your world for you, really just out of one year. But I hope that you will hear this protest against humanity this morning and remember the words of the Apostle Paul that we read in our scripture reading in Romans 3. There is none good, no, not so many, as one. 
It's necessary that we hear that very, very bad, ugly news before we can hear and can appreciate the good news of Scripture. Because you know what really gets to me far more than this indignant protest against humanity is that I see human nature in 1992 and understand this ugliness, this violence, this disrespect for life and purity and so forth. And that really gets to me, and yet the Bible tells me that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. I'm not holy enough to evaluate. I'm not holy and righteous enough to be the judge. God is. But even in my finite, fallible, human way, I can be so indignant about what human nature has done. Would I ever give one of my sons to die for the human race? I don't find that in me. That's the amazing thing. The Bible tells us the truth about humanity. And it's a very ugly truth. But that's just the backdrop because the main message of the Bible is against that background you can understand the love of God that he would give his own son to die for the world. Hopefully 1992 and it's bad news which is really old news it's not just 1992 news but the bad news of 1992 about human nature will prepare us and those around us to embrace the very good news in 1993 that God has provided for polluted, guilty sinners a way of escape. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you confessing that it's easy to look out at the world, to watch our TV screens and to read newspapers and to externalize and objectify the sinfulness violence, the selfishness of the world round about us. But the truth is, Lord, that we know that we all participate in human nature. We all are part of this common human nature that is prone to sin and rebellion and destruction. And so we come to you this morning not only indignant and broken-hearted, over the sin and violence of 1992, but come to you confessing that we're just like the people we've been talking about this morning. We are not made of better stock. We are not cut from better cloth. We are not somehow inherently morally superior or above those that we have mentioned. That all of us are sinful and unclean that all of us are unable to do that which is right apart from your grace. That all of us are hopeless in our depravity. And so we look to you because there is nothing in ourselves and there is nothing in our world, nothing in our leaders, nothing in our philosophers, nothing that can save us except your grace and mercy. We do pray that you would forgive us for the sake of Christ. We do pray that our guilt will be canceled, that the condemnation would be taken away that is due to us because the penalty fell upon the Savior. And we do pray that through his redemptive work we would be cleansed of the stain of sin, that the pollution of sin would be conquered through the power of your Spirit, 
and that you would work in us throughout this coming year and through the rest of our lives to prepare us to live with you forever, to give us hearts that are fit for heaven because our sins have made this world such an unfit place to live. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.